It's tough growing up, and that transition from childhood through adolescence can be particularly brutal, especially for kids' mental well-being. And with referrals to mental health services on the rise, finding tools to mitigate mental health distress is becoming increasingly important. New research suggests prevention can start at home, enabling parents and caregivers to ease the transition period for their kids. Clinical psychologist Zara Manzor specialises in child and adolescent mental health. Her current PhD research looks at the impact of involving parents in care for early adolescent anxiety and depression. Uh, kia ora and welcome. Great to have you in studio, Zara. Thank you. Kia ora, Catherine. Lovely to be here. You are associated with the University of Otago in Wellington? That's right, yes. And the day job involves what? Good question. Um, a lot of variety. So my clinical work primarily involves working with teenagers, young people, and their whanau. So that can involve all kinds of things, including um, linking with schools, um, yeah, parents, different people in their lives, as well as working with the young people themselves. Look, it is a particular age, <laughs> Life stage has its challenges, but adolescence, there's so much happening physiologically, emotionally, biologically, the life transition, the relationships to parents transition. It's always been a challenging age. Let's start with that. What are the particular issues that a, a human being will be going through that can challenge mental well-being? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've done a really excellent summary there. There's just so many things going on. So from a biological sort of brain development level, I mean, you can think about as young people, we have to go from um, being children to being adults, building our adult brain. And so that's very much what's happening. A lot of brain development, um, but also a lot of social development. And so it's a challenging time for sure, but it's also a time of big opportunity and in terms of intervening and actually supporting growing these adult brains, um, it's also an exciting time. Preventatively then, what are some of the things people can think about? We talk a lot about resilience, don't we, these days? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and what I love about the program and the work I'm really involved with at the moment is it kind of makes that into a concrete skill set of how you actually do that what that actually looks like. So the particular skill set that I'm kind of focused on and working with Farno, both in my clinical work and my research, is around supporting emotional well-being, emotional intelligence, and with a particular set of skills that actually helps coach young people through emotions, so teaches them how to manage it, just as we might, you know, coach sports and other things. We don't necessarily think about coaching emotions, um, but that's just as, if not more important. The emotions, the feelings can be quite extreme, probably the most extreme since perhaps toddlerhood, right? <laughs> so yeah. Probably I, the nearest I comparison. I think you're absolutely right, and in mm -hmm. some ways more intense mm. as well because we have similarly a big period of brain development, but also life experience-wise, yeah. so many firsts happening. I think lots of us can still remember uh, the intensity of some yeah. of those experiences. It's intensity of the feelings, and, and the toddlers move on in five seconds, whereas the adolescent's got a brain that's got memory and can uh -huh. imagine forward and can wonder what, what what they're thinking about me, what they're saying about they me. They can stew, they can plot. They can stew <laughs> and plot, which is the human's condition. So let's stay with that right now. Um, if you were wanting to work through with someone, with a family, with a whanau, um, how to build that emotional some of it's self-regulation and, and emotional intelligence is also about what's going on with others. What are some of the things to do? Absolutely. So I think um, it has to start with ourselves, which is always quite challenging. So actually um, checking in with your own 
emotional state, role modeling, labeling, um, modeling, you know, how you manage that. And then we actually want to think about um, connecting with our young people, trying to understand what's going on for them and then help them understand. So, for example, it might look like, you know, you've got a young person that's stressed out about something happening at school, maybe a test. I think we're coming into the last week of NCA exams. Um, You know, they're clearly not happy about something. And instead of coming in with, say, advice, problem solving, well, you need to get on and do some study um, for that. What are you going to do about that? Um, or, you know, you'll be fine. Sometimes jollying along is also the, the default response, which doesn't actually teach anything about the emotion or how to deal with that and in the moment kind of calm. And so instead thinking about actually just um, tuning in, um, seeing how the young person might be feeling, listening and acknowledging that, hey, you seem really stressed, you know, about what's on tomorrow or whatever the situation might be. Or I notice you really struggle to eat your dinner tonight. Um, so it's really simple, um, but hard to do well in practice. And what is that about doing? It's getting out of the red rag or the panic part of the brain, calming it down to the executive function part of the brain that can say, okay, what's my plan? Absolutely. So we talk about kind of your brain flipping your lid. So, you know, when we're upset or all of us, it's like the lid's gone off the brain. All the lovely thinking rational part is literally out the window. We're acting from kind of our emotional more you know basic parts of our brain which we all do but young people are particularly you know prone to that because their brains are still developing and they haven't learnt those skills Um, so we want to help wrap that round and doing these emotional coaching skills is a really effective way to do that because if somebody can tune in with us understand how we're feeling and verbalize that in some way that immediately helps us to calm Okay, so teaching that self-regulation. Emotional intelligence, as I said, is also about being able to read others. And they're at an interesting stage, adolescence. That they used to, I don't know if they still do call it adolescent egocentrism, where there's a lot of focus mm-hmm, internally because mm-hmm. so much is going on, right? But to be a successful friend, to be part of a friend group and to cope well, you also need to be able to read others. Are they at the early parts of this journey and perhaps varying quite significantly between young child, adolescent to adolescent. Absolutely, and this is such a common question we get from parents because understandably they want to be growing empathetic, caring people and often they're experiencing... A monster. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Including directed at them. <laughs> Absolutely, and as you're right, there's a lot of variance. So on the yeah. one hand, teens are awesome because they are starting to develop those skills and you see these incredible moments of empathy and perceptiveness and then your next minute it's, yeah, emotional overwhelm or shutdown. Um, and again, the awesome thing about these skills and thinking about actually coaching and supporting the emotional development is by showing the empathy to our young people by saying, hey looks like you had a really tough day or you're really struggling with whatever that is actually the best way that we can then get them to do that for somebody else later on so the modeling um you gotta look in the mirror first the modeling is very powerful is that what you're saying even though these are the same kids who are saying you don't know what you're talking about you're an idiot la 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 they are still modeling off you Absolutely. And, you know, there's a mantra in this kind of work of we have to be the bigger, wiser, kinder, stronger people in these interactions with the adults, which is very difficult. And I also just want to preface this by that's certainly not um, doing that perfectly all the time. This is very much about just sometimes good enough and that makes a difference. But that actually if we can in the moment keep our own selves calm and say to them, yeah, hey, 
that's really annoying when I say that or do that and actually empathise with what they're feeling in the moment because their lid's flipped and they need help to regulate and then those skills can come back online. What makes this age group particularly vulnerable to mental health challenges? Well, actually all the things we've been discussing Mm -hmm. do. But what are some of the challenges, mental health challenges that can present that go beyond just day-to-day emotional ups and downs? Yeah, so one of the reasons I'm particularly interested in this age group is precisely that there's a big increase in some of our kind of common um, mental health conditions and the ones that continue into adulthood. So I'm particularly looking at 10 to 14 year olds, so early adolescence, and what we see in that age group is the kind of big ones through the lifetime anxiety, depression, really significantly increasing. And as you said, that's kind of tied to all of those developmental... At a clinical level. At a clinical level, absolutely. What is the, What are the symptoms of that? At a clinical level? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think broadly... There's such a lot of variation and generally we want to think about, you know, all emotional experiences are valid and okay. Having strong emotions in of itself isn't a concern and again, that's something that we want to work on ourselves being accepting of. Um, But we really want to think about the impact on a young person's life. So is it stopping them from doing the things they want to want to do is it interfering with schoolwork is it interfering with relationships and also some of the more kind of big um, day-to-day things like eating sleep that that can have a really serious impact how can anxiety present that's a great question often it can present very physically so the classic is you know tummy aches headaches just not feeling well and that's very real So we have an instant kind of reaction. If you think about something that maybe is a little bit nerve-wracking, coming into an interview, something like that, you'll get an instant reaction in your tummy, right? So it's a very physiological response, and there's good reasons for that in terms of our body's uh, kind of, you know, protection mechanisms. So that would be a really common one. Avoidance would be the other big common one. So not wanting to do things or suddenly, you know, being avoidant about going somewhere, doing something. So next question and this will vary from young person to young person, but what can you do to work with them through a serious, the gamut of experiences of anxiety? Absolutely, and because there's so many factors influencing this. So I think from a parent perspective, it's thinking what can you sort of control and support? And that is, yeah, these in-the-moment responses, trying to actually listen, support the emotions. Um you know what you can actually do and then by extension how you can strengthen your relationship so being a safe place letting them go out and you know uh, figure stuff out on their own to a degree but the message that you're there if you need them is still really important for our teenagers it appears the system for a long time has treated teenagers as small adults could you comment yeah um that That's a big factor that actually kind of inspired me to get into more um, research alongside my clinical work because as a clinician working in this area, um, yeah, there's sort of a gap in the guidance and evidence for this age group and they're not kids and they're not adults and they're not, you know, they're kind of going in and out of these stages of development, particularly this sort of 10 to 14 age group um, and just taking the adult stuff and trying to make it fit doesn't really work that well because they have unique needs and one of those needs is you know the key role of Fano and other figures that's still happening in this age and actually giving those people skills so they feel empowered how can I best support my young person rather than just treating them as an individual Can you give us some examples of how conversations can go 
between parent and or parents and young person when we are at a fairly serious level of, of anxiety as opposed to, you know, day-to-day mm-hmm. anxiety. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard about the calming, the being the safe yeah. space, but what other kinds of conversations are helpful? So I think that depends kind of where your young person's in in the moment. So coming back to that flip lid analogy, if they're just really beside themselves, you know, inconsolable or they're really not able to access the thinking parts of their brain, which absolutely happens, it's really basic stuff like maybe just sitting alongside with them. Sometimes there's, you know, safety things, making sure that they're safe, that you're safe. And literally just being with is actually really huge. So one thing that's really challenging um, often for parents or just as adults, as people, we want to get in, we want to fix things, we want to make things better. And actually the most powerful thing we can often do is just sit with, keep ourselves calm, which is often the big challenge in those moments, and just let it um, be. So even with those, especially with those big emotions. So hold back on the... Why don't you try this? Why don't you do this if you Absolutely. do this? Get yeah. the, even though it's really tempting, get those out of the way. Absolutely. Because ultimately, you're trying, you want them to learn how to calm themselves, them to learn how to regulate, them to learn how to manage strong emotions, not not you tell them all totally. the time. And okay. it also just doesn't work. So, you know, if in doubt, try this out yourself or think of yourself if you've had a tough day and you come home and you want to have, you know, a bit of a um, chat about it and someone just launches into giving you a whole little well, have you tried this and that it actually makes you feel worse or more upset and the same thing but even more intensely um, so it's really diff- it's really difficult but really important to try and refrain from jumping into that problem solve advice giving which we tend to do with our kids way more we've got some questions coming and I want to get to them but the other the other challenge of this era for this generation is that always on endless incoming bad news mm-hmm. Um Previous generations had plenty of bad news, but just just it was not coming through their phones um, yeah. and straight into those straight to the nervous system, essentially hour after hour after hour each day. Where you've got a young person who's catastrophizing and/or just losing motivation, just overwhelmed mm. by the world they're in, that again um, has become their world instead of a background to their yeah. world. How, how to deal with that. Yeah, and I think that's such a huge challenge right now. And I think, again, equally parents are bombarded um, by so onslaught of information thing. as well. Set the tone in the house Yeah, and for how much of this is going to be absorbed, absolutely. for where the focus of time is going to be. Is it going to be on us and our world or every single problem happening around the world? Absolutely. And so that kind of comes to boundaries, which is something that's also, you know, we want to sandwich with this approach. So this isn't a, a fix-all, just... You know, empathizing and being with emotions is really, really powerful and will go a long way. But it's there's other, you know, tools that you're going to need in your toolbox. What we do suggest is that doing this as well will make those boundaries go down better. So rather than just, well, that's enough, you know, screen time. Hey, I know it's super annoying <laughs> to have to stop what you want to do, but actually we need to do X, Y, Z. And the other thing is trying to negotiate that with your young person. So again, once you've done the calming bit, actually go to them hey I've noticed you know in this house we're all getting really caught up in being on our phones or caught up in what's happening and like what do you guys think would be a way for all of us to manage that so again it's a whole family kind of discussion rather than you need to do this or you need to do that okay let's have a look at some of the questions that have come in please um this 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 is 
a post-pandemic experience that a lot of parents have had to one extent or another. My son has refused to go to school for the entire fourth term. He's had counselling. I'm scared as he stays on that he's going to stay on the couch for the rest of his life. Help. Any ideas welcome. I feel utterly powerless. I don't have an age, but clearly it's high, yeah, probably yeah. high school age. Yeah. Oh, first of all, just want to empathise with you so much because this is such a tough situation to be in. And I've worked with lots of Fano and similar boats and it is really, really hard and you do feel powerless and it's gruelling. So, you know, I think general thought is, again, there's so much that's not in your control in these situations. There's so many other factors, you know, without knowing what's going on with school and your young person. So sometimes what is helpful to think about is what is within my control and often that comes back to the relationship. So with all of this going on, and all of this difficulty for us right now, how can I work on staying connected to my young person? How can I keep our relationship through this? Because you will get through this, um, but you want to get through this and keep um, keep that relationship as strong as you possibly can. And this is you know, one tool that's really helpful to do that. So again, rather than getting into a whole lot of advice giving or trying to fix it or solve it, which this is, a, is something you're going to need you know, help with probably, um, and I know that's difficult as well, just acknowledging like how difficult it is trying to get to what what how your young person might be feeling because there's going to be a lot of emotions for them about this. So instead of trying to get to the solution, the primary thing is to maintain and try and nourish a relationship. 100%. And, and we know... And, and that might, that's not going to be a miracle either. But, no, yeah. and it can be really hard because sometimes parents feel like they're dropping the ball on mm. something, yeah, really important, like getting to school. But what we find is actually by doing that you increase the likelihood that they are going to be able to do that because if they feel um, like, you know, they've got that trust, that connection with you, they can, you know, you can negotiate, they can feel like they can move forward. Another question. One way my new teenager deals with life is fidgeting. While doing this, Mm. she picks at her socks and has destroyed hundreds of socks. It's not self-harm, for which I'm grateful, but I am going through a lot of socks. (laughs) I've tried to gently approach this, but she's very defensive about it. Any pointers? Yeah, gosh, that's an, an interesting one as well. And again, so it sounds like it's possibly a bit of an anxious, uh, an, an, anxious kind of, of habit yeah, behavior, yeah. and yeah, that can come in many different forms. Yeah. Um, it is annoying that you're going through a lot of socks. I think it's a bit of a picking, yeah, your your battles over it as well, and maybe just acknowledging to her, hey, obviously you're struggling with whatever or you're feeling a bit agitated and this is kind of working for you right now and maybe again gently getting into some discussions about what else might be helpful um, but you want to do that once in a calm space with them and and again just to add that if it is at the level where it is really negatively impacting um, life in a bigger way then that's where you might want to think about some more support. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, another one here This would be a common experience also. My 11-year-old and I have almost daily conversations about her desire to have an iPhone 14 or 13. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she's got a 12, 11 or 4S, but anyway. (laughs) It often ends in an argument. I don't want her to have one. Ah, she has my old iPhone 6, there you go, for messages and Mm -hmm. phone calls, but apparently that's not good enough. She's saying all her friends have one. Their parents bought one for them. She needs to take photos with it, (laughs) etc. Crop them. I'm so far holding firm on my position that I won't buy her an iPhone 14, 13 until she's at least 15 or 16. We're constantly butting heads over this. She wants one for her 12th birthday in December. She gets really upset when I keep saying no. Oh, tricky. And I think, good for you, and it's totally your prerogative to hold 
a boundary on this. This is an example of something that maybe is in your control, which phone she gets, and you're absolutely um, you know, within your rights to make a reasonable decision about that. And it's okay for her to feel upset about it. So you can hold both those things and acknowledge, yeah, it sucks, and it sucks to have a parent that's not doing the same thing as the others and still hold the line on it. So generally we you know, think about acknowledging that emotion first and you can hold the line. And again, depending on the situation or for others listening, we maybe it's less of a firm line or there is some wiggle room. Again, see if you can get into some negotiation with the young person and ask them what they think would be a compromise. Do you explain? Like, do you say, you've got a perfectly good iPhone, you're lucky to have an iPhone at all. This is, this is not an example of what to say. <laughs> yeah, but why it's can't an you be grateful? An example for, of what you're tempted to say. Um, to be grateful to have a phone you, at all. Do you explain? Do you know how much an iPhone costs and how long you'd have to work at your after school job? Do you explain when you just say no? Or a little bit of both. So in terms of coming back to our main idea of we want to get to the emotion underneath, um, and again, you can give What's this a go yourself. I want and, what they've and got. And you're, you're disappointed, you're frustrated, you're feeling left out. So when we say, you know, you should be grateful or, well, I had, in my, you know, I had, ex- that's actually experienced as dismissing the emotion. So that's kind of we want to, and again that's normal to be doing that some of the time but we actually want to be getting into but what's it like for the young person so for me I don't understand why this is so upsetting but for them can I get in their head see how what that might be like if they say all my friends have got one what do you and and I need it to crop pictures because I can't take pictures that are as good as theirs what do you then say that's really tough (laughs) that sucks yeah what's that like yeah you know get inside their world a little bit more um and sometimes, you know, you might need to fake it till you make it a little bit because the motion might just seem so disproportionate. Or, you know, in the groups we run with parents covering these skills, we sometimes think about what's an equivalent adult situation where you would feel similarly upset. Where do people go to get the Tuning Into Teens? Tuning Into Teens is the name of the program. How can people tap into it? Yeah, great. So, the, yeah, Tuning Into Teens is the name of the program. It's developed out of the University of Melbourne with an amazing team of clinicians and researchers there. And there is other iterations of the program. So it's out of one for kids, for younger age group. Um, currently, myself and some colleagues are working on kind of getting it out in the community a bit more yep. broadly. So watch this space. Um, otherwise, I suggest you yeah, people give a Google of tuning into kids, tuning into teens, see if anything might be available in their local area. There's also some really great online resources yep. on the tuning into kids website great. as well. Now, this question, very brief answer, if you would. Can you ask your guess how someone might pursue a career like hers, working with young people and families in this way? Oh, How many great. years? Come talk to me. Um, I think I'm coming up nine with my PhD work. Yeah, it's it's six if you go the fast route to clinical training in, in university. But um, please, we'd love to have more oh, of you. We need a it's, lot more. Um, <laughs> it's a wonderful career. There's so many, so much scope for um, what you can do. So yeah, yeah, get in touch. We'd love to have you. Thank you, Zara Mensor.